Good morning, everybody. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit uh, to us as uh, we not only open up uh, your word, but as your word uh, opens us up. And so speak mightily today that we might hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay. Uh, just if you're, if you're willing to share, great. If not, well, that's fine too. Uh, but I noticed this morning two things happened at the 9 o'clock. So if you're going to the 11 o'clock, sorry, uh, you're going to get left out of this conversation, but you should listen in. Um, more people than normal, and I mean a lot more people than normal, went to the rail today and not to one of the stations. And a lot more people drank from the cup than dipped. Any reason for that? I mean, are you mad at me? I mean, I, don't know. I, mean I, I really am not that insecure. When the ushers always think, golly, they don't like you this morning. If they don't come, I'm like, it's not, I'm not worried about that. So if you ever, there are people who will avoid eye contact with me when they're walking up to the rail because they, I, I, don't, I don't get upset. But I want to, you know, if you normally hit a station, but this morning you decided to go up to the rail, if you might be willing to share why that was. little secret between you and Jesus, I guess. Uh, well, let me tell you, I think, I, I mean, let, let me get the ball. I, I would have three, I would say that there are three reasons why that could be. One, and I'll start with the most trivial, uh, just newcomers that find it more comfortable going to the rail, it's easier to navigate and you're ushered better going that way where, you know, you don't know exactly what to do at the station. I think that that's one because we have a lot of new folks at the Advent. But two, um, I think... Um, I don't know, maybe the whole idea of my sermon of gathering around the table together, maybe that had something to do with it. But I wonder if it wasn't just this week in our national life and, and feeling the need to come together around the table and kneel together and, and drink from the same cup. Uh, so it may have been a subconscious thing, uh, but y'all did it. Uh, and, um, and so I just thought that was interesting and didn't know if anybody else noticed that. Uh, because thanks to you, we finished church late. The question was why, um, why so many more people went to the rail than normal. So, yeah. okay. Well, you can always email me and share. I'd, I'd love to hear it. Um, so, it may be because I have a scratchy voice, but I assure you it's allergies. It's nothing contagious. Maybe that's it. But, okay. Well, we are, uh, speaking of riots, uh, we're in uh, Acts uh, 19, uh, where uh, Paul is still in Ephesus and... Uh, I mean, things were going really well in Ephesus, but the thing about it is, is when things are going well in the Christian life, it means that the devil's worried about you. Uh, if you're not experiencing any spiritual attack, it means that you're not a threat uh, for the kingdom of God. And so we've already had the incident with the sons of Sceva, which you can uh, listen to. Uh, that was two weeks ago. And, uh, and next week we'll take, uh, the next week and the following week, we'll take a, book, a break from Acts uh, next week, uh, Bishop Fitzsimmons Allison will be with us in the class, and he'll be our preacher. Uh, and then, uh, because we're very grateful for Acade getting married, uh, so that's why he's in town, and then his nephew. And then the following week, we'll have Drayton Neighbors in here to talk about uh, Christians in the public square, which I think will be very interesting. So, 
But for the time being, here we are. Things had gotten sideways a little bit uh, when it came to persecution because of the sons of Sceva, where some people were trying to cast out demons in Jesus' name, but they didn't know Jesus from a hole in the wall, and things got kind of weird. But now, uh, Paul has uh, stayed in Ephesus, and um, if we're looking at chapter 19, beginning uh, with verse 21, and it's a, lo- a lot of verses, but I'm going to go ahead and read it because it's important. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And ha- it's like a bucket list when you get retired. And having sent him into Macedonia, two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, who opened a barbecue shop in Homewood, uh, a silversmith, sorry, I really just need to read it. A silversmith, now you know what happens in my brain when I'm reading scripture. Uh, A silversmith who had made silver shrines of Artemis brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that, this, that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew... For about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and is of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion." And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. The word of the Lord. This is actually a great, exciting, and very funny passage of Scripture. When they talk about Asia, we're talking about eastern Turkey. It really is just sort of that, if you look at Constantinople, Istanbul, right there on the isthmus, if you work your way down the coast, there's a little rounded coastline, and that was the province of Asia, and that's where Ephesus is. 
is. Uh, you can still go there today and see the ruins. You can visit the theater to get an idea of how many people actually packed in uh, to see um, this great persecution break out. And right on the heels of the Sons of Sceva incident, when the gospel begins to spread, because we hear that in verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Next thing we know, that there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. No little disturbance my foot. This is a just a total mob scene where the whole city has gone up in riots. And there's the very funny line when they're all in the theater yelling, and they're like, what are we here for? I mean, they have, I don't even know why they're there. It's just sort of that mob mentality. There's actually some psychological work that's been done in this field. It's called mob theory. And the idea is how your neighbors, normal people, you and me, could possibly loot the corner store in the middle of a riot. You know, good citizens who actually will do crazy things. And what they found is that it only takes... There, we have a very small percentage of, of people in our culture who will actually start a riot. Right? But if they start a riot and they throw a rock through the grocery store, a couple other people may say, yeah, let's get on board with that. And then those people see people, and then those people see people, and those people, and eventually it begins to build where all of a sudden it doesn't seem so far-fetched because you start thinking things like, remember when the looting happened in New Orleans during Katrina? When am I ever going to see a loaf of bread again? So this mob mentality is alive and well uh, in ancient uh, Turkey, but also uh, in our world uh, today. But the disturbance was not caused by the casting out of demons, but what normally causes disturbance in the human condition when it comes to Jesus, and that's money. It has everything to do with money. And can you see the self-righteousness? And even Demetrius here is actually using Artemis, the irony, saying, hey, we're about to all go broke. The great guy, and then he starts to embellish and have real flowery language about it's really all for Artemis, when it's really for who? His pocketbook, yeah. right? Yeah, it's for himself. Uh, that's really what he cares about, because it turns out that Christianity is bad for the idol trade. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, but what I would say is this. If you're a Christian in the ancient world, it's not all that hard to stop buying idols. Uh, why? Uh, well, you can, continue, you can continue to worship them without actually having a little image of Artemis in your home. Uh, but also, it is a very clear indicator that you're either a syncretist, which means taking one, you know, a non-Christian faith and mixing it in with uh, the Christian faith, or you're not a Christian at all. You know, if you walk into a home... Uh, and you uh, see an idol, you're probably going to think what? That's what they're idolaters, right? Uh, in the same way, on the positive side of that, if you walk into someone's home and you see a cross on the wall, you would hope that they were what? Christians, right. Uh, and so these are visual images that really aren't that hard to get rid of. What's a lot harder, and what I think is true of the passage here as well as in our own lives, are those idols that are not tangible idols. Uh, those things that we can still get away with being idolaters uh, without getting any judgment from our community. And it almost entirely centers around money. People often misquote the Bible and say that the root of all evil is money. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the root of all evil is the love of money. Right? So aren't you all excited? I'm going to ask, ask people to talk about their tax returns in a minute. 
Uh, but, I mean, but think about that. Think about that. I mean, you will, around the dinner table with your closest friends and companions and your family, uh, actually pour out your heart about your marriage, your children. Uh, you'll ask for their prayers. Uh, people will ask, how's your son doing? How's your mother doing? How's your dad doing? With a real interest. Uh, and we're very happy to share that. We would die if somebody said, how's your, how's your ta tax return this year? <laughs> but what's your net income? People, people don't want to talk about that. And yet, Jesus was on to something when he said, where your treasure is, there is your heart. And so it may actually not be the accumulation of things. It may not be for you having a house in a certain place or drive a certain car or have your kids go to a certain school. It may actually be what those things bring, right? You're not actually looking to accumulate things. What you're looking to do is to create some social capital. Right? You, you, you want to have an image of that your family has it all together. You want people to know uh, you don't really care that you have a house in Switzerland. Um, and uh, I once had a friend who said that, and uh, someone went and saw it and took a picture of it. It was a terrible-looking shanty. Uh, and I said, but he does have a house in Switzerland, um, uh, which is uninhabitable in the winter. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, but that's just it. He could care less about the house. What he wanted was he wanted people to know, I have a house in Switzerland, right? There's the status of it. And so often people will use money to be able to maintain their status uh, or even in smaller ways. Uh, and I'll just get real personal here. Uh, I'm not buying little shrines uh, at, at my house, uh, but I do worship my belly. And by that, I mean, there were some friends of ours who were in the mission field. They work for the Jesus Film Project. You may know them. Their, names, their last name is Dooley. They're doing a really great work. And when uh, they sent us a support letter, Lauren and I prayed over it and hemmed and hawed and said we really wanted to support. And we said, you know what, let's, let's just start out. Let's give them $100. And I remember writing that check and being like, supporting the work of the Lord and sent it off. And then days later, Lauren and I went with some friends to Hot and Hot and dropped $200, and I didn't blink an eye. You see? I, mean, I was so proud of myself for giving $100 for mission work, but I don't think twice. I mean, a man's got to eat, I know. Uh, but, uh, but it shows that I have my priorities way out of whack. If I have extra income, where's it more likely going to go? I mean, one of the great fears, I think, in America right now is... Have we saved enough? And any financial advisor will tell you, no. I mean, if I'd known I was going to have three daughters for three weddings, I'm sunk. I mean, I'm totally doomed. Uh, and, you know, unless, you know, there are these weddings that are happening now in Birmingham where they have 50 people at the wedding and then 500 at the reception. I want my girls to reverse that. I want 500 people at the wedding. <laughs> And 50 people eating hot dogs in my backyard, which is nice. It's very nice. Uh, uh, and I, that's, uh, that's what I want, but that's not... Um, but I realize I really am stingy because I feel like the money that I have, is, it's mine. I mean, it's all well and good for me to say, well, God bless me with it. Uh, but I really uh, hold on uh, tightly to it. Uh, and like my missionary friends, so many people treat the church like any other charity. You know, that it's, uh, you know, and, and I'm not trying to be critical here, but I think it's the truth that a lot of people will say, well, I'm going to give 
$200 to this charity, and I'll give $200 to uh, the church, and I'll give $200 to this foundation. I'll give Those things are, are well worth supporting. Lauren and I support a lot of community things. Uh, but what's the nature of the work of the church? Change lives. Now, I, we support those other community endeavors because it enhances the life of the city of Birmingham, and I'm all for all of those things. Uh, but there seems to be a reluctance even in our culture and day and age. We're doing stewardship right now, which I believe in justification by faith except doing, during stewardship season because <laughs> uh, I can't help but feel like it's a referendum. And I know it's not, but that's because money for me is somewhat of an idol. And, and it is for all of us probably. Uh, but as we've seen, we've seen fewer and fewer people pledging to the advent. Even though our budget increases, our average pledge goes up, it decreases. And I think part of it is feeling vulnerable about actually submitting a pledge saying, this is how much I'm going to give. I mean, I had one person say, hey, uh, I, I, they said, I want you to know that I'm going to pledge this year, uh, but I'm not going to fill out a pledge card because it's between me and the Lord. And I said, well, would you mind having him let us know? Because this is... <laughs> Because we do have to put together a, a budget. And so what I would say to you is this, is that, yeah, that's something that you need to prayerfully concern. But if you're afraid, I mean, I actually, one of the things that we did this year with our girls, which I wish that my parents had done with me, had they been Christians, but at that point. But, the, but I actually, we actually sat down with them, and they filled out their own pledge cards. I mean, even if it's, you know, like, you might be doing well financially, but you just are nervous, give $200. Write it down on a pledge card. Put it in. Uh, I mean, the start. I mean, of course, everything that we have belongs to, to the Lord. But uh, you will be blessed by giving to the Lord. Uh, it's not quid pro quo, uh, but we've found in in our lives that generosity is blessed because you begin to operate out of a principle of abundance rather than a principle of scarce scarcity. And it makes all the difference in the world. And so. There are a lot of Demetriuses running around saying the sky is falling and we are, we've got to get while the getting's good and we've got to hold on to what we've got, even uh, in uh, the church. Uh, I, I don't know if it was Spurgeon or somebody can correct me, says that the checkbook is the last thing to be converted in the Christian life. Uh, there's a, a famous person, a famous uh, cartoon of a guy being baptized in the river by his pastor. And as he's going down, he's underneath, but he's holding his checkbook above the water uh, as, he's, as he's coming back. But that really is the last wall to fall. Uh, we don't have any problem, again, in trusting other things in our lives over to the Lord. But finances, oof, that's really dicey. And I know why I behave the way I do, because I don't think that my faith is waning when it comes to that. Maybe God won't come through for me. Maybe God won't provide for me. I mean, Jesus told a story about that. He said there was a real wealthy man, and he had so much money that he began to expand his business and built all these new barns, and then the next day he died. Now, what good was that? I do appreciate the bumper sticker that I see on a lot of RVs that say, I'm spending my children's inheritance. <laughs> but I pray, uh, I, I doubt, I got into this business for the money, but I doubt that I'll get to the point in my life where I can do this but there's a guy that I know that, that makes uh, a lot of money, and he's gotten to the point in his life where he lives off 10% and gives away 90. He just doesn't, just doesn't need it. I mean, I was talking to a friend the other day, and they said they live in a very nice home, 
And they said, well, we're thinking about moving. And I said, why? And they said, because there's just not enough room for our stuff. And I just thought, maybe you should get rid of some stuff. Yeah. I mean, anybody, like, we, we buy apartments for our stuff in gated communities. You know, they're called storage units, right? And, and, and we go and we visit it and we look at it and we... Right? And then we, you know, we turn around and go home. Uh, it's, it's, and we know that it's silly and it's crazy, but we have a really hard time letting go of those things. And so I often have to check myself and ask, is money the most important thing in the world? Because that's what the world thinks. It's the most important thing. I think that even though we have a lot of turmoil in our world today, uh, one of the things that has kept it primarily stable as compared to other previous centuries, has actually been the global economy. Uh, people want to continue to make money, and so they're more willing to tolerate certain levels of corruption and injustice uh, in order to make money. And in other areas where the economy is totally tanked, you see unrest. Uh, and a lot of times that's the result of a corrupt government, like in Zimbabwe. Uh, but uh, for us in the world, the truth of the matter is, is that the world does teach that money is the most important thing in the world. And so Demetrius, as despised as we would like to make him, he's not crazy because we all have a Demetrius who lives in our hearts. Uh, Artemis uh, is also known as Diana. Uh, she was uh, the goddess of the hunt, wild animals, wilderness, childbirth, virginity, and protector of young girls bringing and relieving disease in women. And so what's going on here with the Christians is that it's not just messing with the checkbook. Now you're messing with women. Demetrius is saying that Paul and the Christians are waging a war on women, right? Because Artemis is what put Ephesus on the map, this great temple uh, there. And after all, how can you be against childbirth, virginity, and protector of young girls, and the relieving of diseases in women? Right? All things that we ought to be against. We also see that Demetrius is good at organizing. Although between the money and the issues surrounding the temple, and of course, the funny thing, who is organized here? And I mean that in a literal fact. Trade unions. Right? Yeah, these are unions. Uh, so they've been around for a long time. And, uh, and so the unions have gotten together... Uh, not just the people who make the idols, the people who sell the idols, uh, but all kinds of folks who are involved uh, in between. So the guilds, the labor unions have gotten in, uh, involved. And although that they are organized, it wouldn't be that hard to get folks motiv motivated against this, right? These are like Artemis is really important uh, to the life and culture of Ephesus, uh, this goddess, but even though, and I mentioned this earlier, it's clear that Demetrius is just using Artemis. Uh, remember, we always think we control idols, but they ultimately will control us. Demetrius' whole life is built on the worship of Artemis. And in the same way, there are many professions in our world uh, that are built on people's love of money. And that's just it. But rather than using it for good, which Demetrius could have done, he could have been a real capitalist and diversified. Instead, panic ensues. They kidnap two Macedonian Christians, take them to the theater, not the movies. They take them to the theater. It's not a date. Paul wants to go in, but some of the high-ranking officers and Christians say, don't you dare go in there. 
Because if you go in, you may not come out. They're going to tear you apart. And then we have that funny moment when everybody's there and they're all wild and they're just like, why are we here again? What's this for? Who are those guys? What's happening? And so in order to, and then all of a sudden, in order to try to make sure that it's very clear who the crowd should be mad at, those from the synagogue there in Ephesus put up Alexander, who is a, non-Jewish, who is a Jewish non-Christian. He's not a Christian. And Alexander begins to speak. But the moment that they realize he's Jewish, what do they do? They begin to howl. Get down off the stage. And then they begin to chant, um, great is Artemis. So they wanted nothing to do uh, with uh, anybody who would even be remotely against the worship of Artemis. And even though Alexander tries to say, no, look, the Christians are the problem, uh, not us, they're getting it coming and going. Now, there's a problem with this approach that the Jews didn't think about, and that is the problem with trying to be moderate. I think in our culture, many of you may feel this way, especially in our political climate. Man, we're touching all the third rails today. (laughs) But it's here in Acts, so I'm not going to shirk it. In our political climate, being a moderate, although this is soon to be not true because, uh, because there's no such thing as a moderate anymore. You're, you're being forced to take sides. You wish that you could be a moderate and actually hear people out uh, and actually say, yeah, they're right about that, but they're wrong about this. Uh, but normally what happens if you're a fence setter, well, you know what happens. You get split, right, if you're a fence setter. In the same way, it's not going to work out for Alexander and his uh, compatriots. Also, the extremes in our country, and I think probably around the world because this is the human condition, and this, this ebbs and flows. It's not like things are worse now than they ever were before. I can give you a lot of examples. Even you know, the other day, I'm, now I really am going to touch the third row. Somebody was getting up. There's a great Cleveland Indians. Uh, there's a great cartoon with a guy wearing a Cleveland Indians uniform, and he's holding up a sign that says, the Chicago Cubs are not my, pres- are not my World Series champions. <laughs> And and I'm not going to tell you who I voted for, but I'll tell you later if you really want to know. But um, somebody was saying, how could Christians, because they, according to Exiles, overwhelmingly voted for Donald Trump and not Hillary Clinton? This is unprecedented. You've totally sold us up the river. On and on and on and on. And I just looked at him and said, pick up a history book. Like, what do you mean? I said, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. The 1980 election, there was a divorced governor from California uh, whose wife talked to astrologers uh, and who ran against a Baptist Sunday school teacher who's been married to the same woman for us and who all the Christians vote for. Ronald Reagan. So let's not get sucked into this thing because we see it here in Acts. We saw it in, in other elections where things have been strange. I think if there's anything common about our human existence is that we're wholly unpredictable. If anything, as one author said, we're predictably irrational right? when it comes to our decision-making. But God's still on His throne. But here's the thing. The Christian voice 
is always going to be out of step with the culture. Even when we think that the culture is Christian, it's always going to be out of step. And if we're not getting railed upon for our positions as Christians, then we might want to take a close look at our witness. I mean, if we're just a resembler of the world around us, uh, that's a problem. Uh, And in the same way, what the Jewish folks in Ephesus wanted to do was they wanted to say, no, 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 we're the okay guys. I mean, I thought it was incredible uh, when this whole thing with the Islamic State came out. Do you remember Al-Qaeda put out a press release? And they said, we're the nicer version of the Islamic State. They said, we're not as extreme as those guys. As if, yeah, we're going to invite you over for Christmas dinner. I mean, that's just, it's crazy for us to think in those terms. And I think we've gotten to a point in our culture where we can't speak the truth and actually say what something is without getting a reaction. And I think that that's just a risk that Christians are going to have to take for the sake of our culture, for the sake of the witness of the gospel in the world. Well, there's this mob, and Demetrius has lost total control of it. Be careful what you ask for when you decide to start a mob. Interestingly enough, the word here that is assembly, do you know what Greek word is used? Ekklesia, which is also the word for church. So you're a mob. Um, um, Mobs don't normally turn out to be peaceful. And so the town clerk, who's their equivalent of a mayor, has to step in. And he reads them the riot act. He absolutely lets them have it over, you know, this is childish. Uh, You need to grow up. We have a process where these things can be handled. And if you don't go home, we're locking you all up. Well, it worked. I mean, they they actually all, all went home. But one of the things that we see are these are prominent citizens, which is why the town clerk says, men of Ephesus, you ought to know better. You're gentlemen to allow the thing to get to this point. You're smart, educated people. Think about this. What I found in our culture is that um, if you are rooted in your position and you're where you ought to be, you shouldn't be so easily shaken. You shouldn't be so threatened by the Christians if you have a confidence in your silversmith trade. Uh, If you're a citizen citizen of Ephesus and you're worried that devotion to Artemis is going to go down, that's not going to be because of the Christians, although it will be in part. Uh, But rather than blame the Christians, if I were an Artemisian, is that what it would be? An Artemisian, I'd double down and make a case for Artemis. But instead... They totally flip out, and they decide to uh, have a mob. Which brings us to college safe zones and cry-ins. Now, I mean this seriously. I think that we need to take seriously the reason why people are upset. But what I would say is this. If you are that easily shaken... You weren't very firm in your beliefs in the first place. And secondly, you're just being a big baby. I mean, to be perfectly honest, and I know this is not the most popular thing to say, but I think the Christian church 
has a particular opportunity to witness to this moment in our culture. And I pray that Jesus increases and we decrease. That we actually can put the hope of the world out there and to let people know that if you're easily shaken, or even if you think that this, this election is the answer to all of your prayers and we're back on the right road, uh, give it time. It's all going to fall apart again. Uh, that's just the nature of, of empires. They rise and they fall. But the Lord endures forever. And so my word to them is not suck it up, but rise and put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. That's where your confidence needs to be. Not in politicians, not in money, uh, not in, in future hopes, uh, in, in dreams, in your own endeavors, uh, but you need to entrust yourself to Him uh, because He is the one who will wipe the tears away from your eyes. He is the one who is going to instill in you the confidence in order for you to deal with the world, which is not a friendly place. I mean, it's really dog-eat dog. And so, some sense has been spoken to the Ephesians by the mayor uh, and the witness of the gospel, even objectively speaking, by the mayor says they've done nothing wrong. If you don't like it, then step up to the plate and compete. I mean, this is what happened earlier on in the book of Acts. Remember when the Sanhedrin said, you're not allowed to preach the gospel anymore. Well, Gamaliel said, if this is of the Lord, if this is of the Lord, then there's nothing we can do to stop it. But if it's not, it's simply going to fizzle out. Well, that was 2,000 years ago, and here we are, standing firm, and I pray that we do in the Lord. I wish we had time for questions. Just kidding. I am going to say yes. Okay. Well, just to get the ball rolling... I just came, it came to me when it said that there was a sacred stone that fell from the sky. Yeah. The, uh, it was a meteor. Kaabala, that the Hajj, when they go to Mecca, walk around the Kaabala. That's right. It was a sacred stone that fell from the that's sky right. and hit. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not uncommon in the ancient Near East that if something falls from the sky because of your uh, religious system, you think. The God sent this, and so it's important, and so it's probably a, a small meteorite of some kind. I guess we have a responsibility also as parents to not coddle our children. Well, I like being coddled. Um, I don't know. I think that that's really the hard thing. Jesus is the only person to ever walked the face of the earth who knew when to drop the hammer and when to apply the bandage. We must always get it wrong. Well, here's what I would say. If I had to choose between one or the other, I would err on the side of grace and compassion, mercy and generosity before the law, because that will crush your children. But at the same time, really being discerning of, of when, you know, you do have to say sometimes, go clean your room, suck it up, get on with it. After your comment about Demetrius and Homewood, mm -hmm. I'm emboldened to say what first came to my mind when you asked about going up to the altar rail. I completed my pledge giving for 2016, and I wanted to go up there to get my full money's worth. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. 
I saw some go back for seconds. I actually have seen a little boy do that here at the Advent. He just looped one around. He said, that juice is so good. But, I mean, on a serious note, I mean, the reason why I'm bringing this stuff up is because we're all reading about it, and if the church doesn't say anything about it or at least engage, we're not doing our job. We're just not doing our job. And the church needs to have a place and role in the national conversation that's going on right now. All right, I guess everybody's happy and content. You're going to get an email. All right. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.